And we are catching up right now with the team's historian and also a fiction writer to boot who has got a new release. If you are a vampire fan, yes, indeed, you are going to want to check out Jerry Knack's new release. It is called The Dark Truth. It is an Amazon bestseller already, and it is something that has been recently released. The Dark Truth, book one, the Dark Passage series, and I know a labor of love through Trifecta Publishing House, and uh, Ingram is the distributor. Good stuff here. It's available in paperback, Kindle, and ebook. Jerry Knack, K-N-A-A-K, author.wordpress.com for more information. And, of course, Jerry can sell this stuff himself. He's with us right now here on latest. Jerry, it's Alex and Gil. Great to be talking with you. Congratulations on the release of your book. How are you? I'm doing well, Alex and Gil. It's a pleasure to be with you. Happy holidays. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Well, thank you very much. You know, I always thought you were good, but uh, after I read the reviews on this book, uh, you're even better than I thought you were. (laughs) Well, that's high praise coming from the Godfather, Gil. I tell you, well, you know, we're going to talk to some Raiders here in a minute, but, but you know, for those who don't know, Jerry works as a team historian. He, he knows the, the Oakland Raiders organization inside and out and does an incredible job chronicling it for them, but obviously hasn't limited his writing to just on the NFL. Tell us, how did you get involved in, in wanting to write about vampires fiction writing? Because this is truly a labor of love because you're basically working two full-time jobs. Yeah, it's uh, something I've always wanted to do. Horror fiction, gothic horror, that kind of thing's always been my favorite form of entertainment, horror films, horror novels, that kind of thing. So I always thought if I was going to write some fiction, if I was going to write a book, it was going to be a vampire story. And after the 2015 season ended, the first, you know, the first week after the season was over with, I said, you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do this. I had a premise, I had a character, and I sat down and it just took off. And uh, the main character is a uh, public relations professional, so I'm drawing on a little bit of uh, personal knowledge there. And uh, she is a uh, personal uh, public relations professional in San Francisco, and she gets kidnapped one night and turned into a vampire, and it's all about what happens to her after that. And I know this book took you some time to write because I remember talking to you in training camp several years ago, and and you explained the work that you put into it, so it must be really special. It took 13 months to write, and i got to thank my publisher here, uh, Trifecta Publishing. They, uh, they've they been nothing short of fantastic for me. Uh, they picked me up right away. They were the first and only publisher I, I queried, so I like to think I wrote something something halfway decent here. But uh, working on the sequel already. The sequel's due out in April. Wow. And listen, you can follow Jerry's exploits on Twitter at GetTheNack, K-N-A-A-K. On Twitter, a lot of ordering information again there as well. And, of course, at jerrynackauthor.wordpress.com, The Dark Truth. Now, listen, we talk about The Dark Truth. We talk silver and black. We talk Oakland Raiders football. How did you become interested in the Raiders to begin with? And then my next question is, how did you become the team's historian? Well, I grew up in western New York, 60 miles east of Buffalo, and we always got the Raiders games as the 4 o'clock game. So a lot of us in Western New York grew up as Raiders fans. And as Gil knows, you know, there was this incredible run of Raiders success on Monday night football in yeah, the 70s thir- and into 13 the 13 in a row or something like that. Yeah, 13 one and one was, was the, their all-time high record. So a lot of us got to be Raiders fans when we were kids. And then 
I joined the team in 2000 as the internet director. So I was part of our digital media department for 15, 16 years. And the organization went through a reorganization a couple of years ago. And they asked me if I wanted to do this. And as a lifelong fan, how could I not? And ever since Al Locasal retired, we haven't had that, that one individual person in the organization that was the caretaker of the history and the teller of the stories. I always did it through web content, but now this is what I get to do on a daily basis. I get to research the stories, write the stories, uh, curate the archives, take care of the photo archives and that kind of thing. And, and Gil will remember Al Locasal as, as yeah, the long time well. caretaker of our history. Didn't have a driver's license, though. <laughs> we we took turns giving him a ride. It was a pleasure learning from him. I, mm-hmm. I never had a conversation with Al Locasal where I didn't learn something. You know, you know, uh, Alex, I don't know if you remember Al, little Al. Yep. Little Al and Big Al. And, <laughs> and, and little Al uh, was always the guy uh, that you'd see at school, and he'd say, oh, uh, by the way, uh, I don't have a car today. They just didn't have one at the airport. I said, now, wait a minute, Al Locasal. They they had one at the airport. You didn't have a driver's license is is, is what took place. And uh, uh, he uh, he was a great friend of Al Davis. Uh, Al trusted him uh, implicitly and uh, was really a guy that did so many things uh, and so novel things. You know, he he talked Alan to doing one thing, uh, being the uh, the uh, sun coach, and the sun coach went to Buffalo or wherever they were going to go the day before they got there, in hopes that they they could tell you where the flight of the sun was going to be at three o'clock in the afternoon, at four o'clock in the afternoon, so that they would make an impact on what you did as far as kicking off, receiving, uh, you know, or or what goal you were going to defend. One of the things that I learned from speaking of stadiums and that kind of thing from Mr. Locasal was why the sideline hash mark isn't connected to the sideline. It's so the referee can see if a player's white shoe steps out of bounds or not. I was unaware. I never did that. We took a a walk at Edward Jones Dome in my first game ever with the team, and he said the reason that hash mark is inset from the sideline, whether it's green between the hash mark and the sideline, is so you can tell if somebody steps out of bounds or not. And, and you know, I think that was a innovation that Al Davis uh, brought to the league, uh, because at every league meeting, he and Al would sit in one corner, in the back of the room at one corner, and uh, offer some very good suggestions uh, that made the league better. Well, now we have things like pylon cam. I yeah. think pylon cam is one of the, the most amazing innovations uh, to come along in, in quite a while. And I think that's a Belichick idea. I believe you're right. Hey, talking with Jerry Knack, Oakland Raiders historian here on Sirius XM NFL Radio, author of The Dark Truth. If you're a vampire fan, you must get this for the holiday season. Ordering information available on Jerry's Twitter account at GetTheNack, K-N-A-A-K, and also a bunch of Raiders goodness on there. So, Jerry, you grew up a Raiders fan. You work in this organization. What are some of the things that you learned that, that you know, you, you wouldn't know about the Raiders or their history maybe if you weren't part of the team? Well, some of the things that I have discovered in, in doing some research 
uh, on a couple of different projects. One, and this is something that I've wanted to know for a long time because you hear the rumors is, number one, how the Raiders or how Oakland got a franchise in the first place because it was supposed to be Minneapolis-St. Paul. Trying to figure out at the dawn of the AFL how Minneapolis pulled out, ended up joining the NFL as the Vikings in 61, and how the Raiders became a thing. And what I discovered was they were almost an Atlanta franchise. And it was Baron Hilton, who was the owner of the Los Angeles Chargers at the time, who threw his weight behind an Oakland ownership group led by Chet Soda that ended up getting the vote and getting a franchise put in Oakland that becomes the Raiders. And the other rumor that I kept hearing or, or kind of a fact, but you weren't sure what the history was, where the team got the name from? Because everybody did team naming contests. And the Raiders were originally the seniors. But only for, only for a short time, right? Nine days in April <laughs> of 1960. And the running joke in the newspaper was the team was going to go broke renaming itself because they kept awarding contest prizes. The grand prize winner got a trip to Acapulco. <laughs> so they, they decided they were going to re-award the contest and award prizes. A lot of people got season tickets and that kind of thing, but, but two separate people got trips to Acapulco for winning the name, the, the name Your Team contest that was put on by the Oakland Tribune. Um, Scotty Sterling was an Oakland Tribune sports reporter, and he ends up becoming the Raiders general manager in 1967 when they win the AFL championship. He goes on to a long career in basketball after that. Wasn't Scotty Sterling one of the innovators or uh, of, of fantasy football? He, yes, he was, and fantasy football was, it was basically invented in the back of a bar in Oakland. And didn't and didn't what happened? It it really would ended up. You used to take seventeen day trips, Alex. You used to go back to play in the east, and you'd play three teams. You'd leave on Thursday, and you'd say stop in Green Bay. Uh, the, then you'd stay in the Green Bay area and go to Cleveland the next week, and 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 then stay in the Cleveland area and go to Baltimore the next week. And so they had all these writers, and and they sat around you know, all of these writers. And that this is where the fantasy football game started. And to further Gil's point, in the AFL, a team like the Raiders would go play the Bills, the Jets, and the Patriots on an East Coast swing and barnstorm. <laughs> this is this is such good stuff. And again, it's available to a lot of this history, of course, on the Raiders website and also Jerry Knack on Twitter at Get the Knack. And Jerry, you know, the Raiders and Cowboys, two different leagues, of course, when both those franchises were coming up. But gradually, starting in the, at the end of the 1960s, we started to get the, the drafts merged together so that Gil and others, no, I wouldn't say Gil, maybe others would stop stashing players and trying to hide them so they can get them signed. <laughs> not Gil. I, I just wanted to not impugn you there, Gil. But but the point is that, you know, things were interesting. And the, one of the things that, that always stood out to me when you watch, when you look back at the history, how Fred Bolitnikoff was signed by the Oakland Raiders. Jerry, if you don't mind, tell the story. I know, Gil, you want under to give the, me some of your two sets as well. Under the goalpost. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny because there was a lot of that that went on back then. You know, Billy Cannon was signed by the Houston Oilers coming off the field, and Pete Rozelle was the former GM of the Rams at the time in 1960, and he was the new NFL commissioner, and there was a, a lot of uh, legal stuff going on there. Fred was drafted um, out of uh, Florida State, 
and originally from uh, where I was born, Erie, Erie Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So it, it tells you tells you what a small world this is. A lot of these guys were were signed right on the field, or um, Gil can tell some stories too about um, you know how they used to stash guys in hotel rooms, and <laughs> and um, you know the two leagues were were especially at the height of the the player war, going into '66 and '67 before they decided on the common draft, they were they were poaching players from each other. Pete Gogolak of the uh, Buffalo Bills, the first uh, true soccer-style kicker, was poached by the New York Giants. And that really set off the, the player war. Roman Gabriel was involved in a lot of it as well. Well, let me, let me tell you about Blitnikoff. Uh, it, it was a game that uh, took place Florida State in Jacksonville in the Gator Bowl. Uh, is where it took place, and and it was uh, against Oklahoma, and uh, I had a player in the game named Ralph Neely, that was uh, eventually a double signee. He had signed two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier against the with the uh, with the uh, Houston uh, Oilers, and uh, uh, I and I and this is in all honesty, I did not sign him before the game. I had an agreement with him, and I felt real solid about my agreement. Uh, but my phone rang uh, about 12 o'clock at night uh, before the game, and it was Coach Landry calling. He said, what did you do? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, what did you do? Gomer Jones just called me, and he wants me to get you and Norman Smith and Ralph Neely out of town before morning, out of Jacksonville. And uh, and 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 I I felt like saying, well, what about uh, what about that wide receiver Blitnikoff on the other side? And I, I think in that particular game, about six or seven guys had been signed early, uh, but only Ralph Neely got caught. And the reason he got caught was because Bud Adams uh, called uh, the school and and told him what happened because he was going to lose the player. Wow. That that's the height of it. it. It really did start with Billy Cannon. And, you know, Billy Cannon legitimized the American Football League right off the bat and ended up winning his court case and ended up being able to play for the Houston Oilers. And he ends up being the first MVP of the AFL championship game in 1960. And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there about the history of the American Football League. And, you know, you look at um, Lamar Hunt and, and what he was able to do. And, and when uh, Al Davis came in uh, as an assistant coach with the Los Angeles slash San Diego Chargers and eventually becoming head coach and general manager of the Raiders. And, and, and Al, force. excuse me for interrupting you, but Al went side one of those early guys, a guy named Lance Allworth yes. uh, from the University of Arkansas that drove Red Hickey crazy because the 49ers had drafted him and uh, he thought he was a cinch to get him, and then he saw the game ending, and Al's under the goalpost signing uh, signing Lance Allworth, who was one of the great players of all time. Absolutely. He ends up with the Dallas Cowboys eventually. Right. Yeah, funny how uh, that works, huh? Uh, right, Alex. You know, and, and one of the other things that I discovered is, you know, you look at what a small world it ends up being. Gil and I were talking during training camp back in July about uh, Dave Grayson, who we had just learned who passed away uh, in July. And Gil was telling me a story about Dave. He ends up uh, as a defensive back and great kick returner for the Raiders, was a, was a key member 
of their rise, the Raiders' rise to prominence in the 60s, but Gil had his own history with Dave Grayson as well. Yeah, I, I signed them as a, uh, the, the uh, uh, West Coast Airlines uh, flew DC-3s, and uh, it's, one of the stops was, uh, first stop, Eugene, Oregon. The next stop was about 50 miles up the road at uh, uh, Corvallis, Oregon, and uh, the, the plane stopped. Uh, Grayson was at the airport. I signed him and got back right back on the plane uh, without, you know, without even having to spend any time. And uh, when we cut him, uh, I called Hank Stram and I said, please, Hank, take this guy. He's pretty good. And he ended up being uh, the leading all-time receiver, one more than Willie Brown in the, in the AFC, or the AFL, I should say. And uh, Al traded for him. Uh, because of his, his, uh, his cover skills. This year, we had the opportunity to honor the 1967 AFL Championship Raiders uh, prior to playing the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday Night Football, and it was an amazing experience to be part of. And we had quite a few uh, guys from that team were on hand for that ceremony with Daryl LaMonica, Clem Daniels, a lot of the other guys, uh, Dan Connors, uh, Roger Bird. Uh, I, I wish I could name them all off the top of my head. Pete Banizak was there. Um, it was just a, a wondrous thing to be part of. Tell you what, it's a wondrous thing to be part of Oakland Raiders history, and Jerry Knack is chronicling that and doing a great job for the Oakland Raiders website. You can also read his fiction work, The Darth Dark Truth, Book One, The Dark Passage series. This is all over. This is available all over the place. Trifecta Publishing House, it's available in paperback, Kindle ebook you can download it you can buy it you can get more information from jerry knack author.wordpress.com also follow again on twitter at get the knack thank you so much jerry for joining us really appreciate it we hope to have you on again in the future and uh, get back to work will you yeah absolutely i got uh, i gotta go play indiana jones and go digging in digging back in the archives and uh, find more great information. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's always great to talk football history with the Godfather.